Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to, even on Mondays, Jill, because I understand a topic we're talking about today <laughs> is this idea of bare minimum Mondays on this Wednesday. We at Mo News give it our all every day of the week. <laughs> but this trend is certainly very interesting. I don't know how new it is, but the media likes to climb onto these things. We'll talk about that among a whole bunch of other stories for you today. You and I had the exact same reaction to it. It's like... People have been doing this since work was created however many years ago. Jill, I feel like it's been around since weekends were created, but I want to ruin the story. <laughs> we're we're going to get to it later in this podcast. All right, let's get to the headlines here. An update to a story that we first talked about yesterday. Two of the four Americans kidnapped at gunpoint in Mexico have been found dead. We're going to have the latest on the investigation. Several Texas women are suing the state over their abortion ban after almost losing their lives as Florida now looks at a more restrictive ban in that state. We're going to take a close look at the situation on our border today, including a deep dive into what's going on in Nicaragua. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says interest rates are likely to go even higher than expected. What this means for you. Even Weight Watchers can't deny the lure of drugs like Ozempic. They're a surprising purchase. Plus, as we were just talking about, the newest viral work trend, bare minimum Mondays, and Mosh has on this day. Jill, I'll see how I feel at the end of the podcast. If it's a bare minimum type day, there might not be an on this day for you today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start, though, with this update on the kidnapping of the four Americans in Mexico near the Texas border. Officials say two of the four have been found dead. Two are alive, but one of the two survivors was shot in the leg. One of the victim's family says that the group of friends traveled from South Carolina to Mexico, so one of them could get a cosmetic surgery, a tummy tuck. Investigators believe a Mexican cartel likely mistook them for Haitian drug smugglers. Video shows the gunmen in bulletproof vests. They ambushed the Americans at gunpoint shortly after they crossed the border. Mexican President Obrador says one suspect is in custody, and he says those responsible will be found and that they will be punished. Yeah, apparently after entering Mexico uh, in their van on Friday, the four Americans were caught amid fighting between rival cartel groups uh, in the town. Again, just like a mile from the U.S. border. The hypothesis that's going so far from investigators is that it was confusion, not a direct attack. Again, uh, they didn't quite know who these Americans were. They thought they were smugglers, uh, not there for a medical procedure. Attorney General Merrick Garland said that the responsibility lies with the drug cartels and is coordinating with Mexican authorities right now. He says the DEA and the FBI are doing everything possible to dismantle and disrupt and ultimately prosecute the leaders of all the cartels and the entire drug networks they're depending on. Of course, this goes back decades, and it's only gotten worse in recent years. But let's talk for a second about what these Americans were doing there. Mexico has become a very popular destination for what they call medical tourism, attracting travelers who may be seeking cheaper alternatives or medical treatments that are unapproved or unavailable uh, in the U.S. or just much more expensive here. But the CDC has warned that this trend does carry rest, including infection, possible post-procedure complications, and of course, in this case, it's in a very dangerous 
region of Mexico. A reminder that the U.S. has a level four warning. That is the highest level warning for this part of Mexico. There's actually a few regions of Mexico where they have this warning. So definitely check the State Department travel warning website before you head to any country, including Mexico. They're warning Americans not to travel to this particular area just across the border because of violence. And of course, it's just across the border. There's multiple crossings at this point in Mexico with Texas. So it's often the case that Americans will travel to Mexico for the day for shopping or other activities. Jill, we're still awaiting more details on uh, who exactly was responsible here and what the Mexican authorities will do about this. And of course, to hear from the survivors of this attack. To be clear, a level four warning is like what we have for North Korea and Syria. You know, that is how seriously the U.S. government takes that. Switching gears now, abortion making a lot of headlines in a couple of big states this week. Five Texas women have filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas saying that they were denied abortions even when their pregnancy endangered their own lives. The suit was filed in state court on Monday. It says that Texas law, which is one of the strictest in the country, is creating confusion among doctors who are turning away some pregnant women experiencing very serious health complications because they fear repercussions. According to the Texas suit brought by the women and two doctors, one of the women was forced to wait until she was septic before being provided an abortion. She was left with so much scar tissue that one of her fallopian tubes is permanently closed. Moshe, I saw an interview with that woman on Tuesday. She says it's now going to be more difficult for her to conceive. Uh, Four others were forced to travel out of state to receive medical care after their health was endangered by their pregnancies. The group wants clarification of the law. They say it is written so vaguely and has made medical professionals really, really nervous about facing liability if the state doesn't consider the situation to be a medical emergency. Doctors in the state now face felony criminal charges if they perform an abortion in all but limited cases in which the life of a patient is in danger. Yeah, Texas, like most states that have gone with this full ban, does allow officially for exceptions when a physician determines there is a risk of, quote, substantial harm to the mother or the fetus has a fatal diagnosis. But the prison sentences are 99 years, $100,000 fines. You can lose your medical license. So that has scared a whole bunch of doctors into not providing abortions, even in cases where the law would seem to allow them. We've talked about this on the podcast before, that a lot of these laws were written very quickly after the Roe v. Wade overturned last summer or even before and weren't specific enough. So this suit asked for the state lawmakers here to get specific when it comes to exceptions because these doctors right now are scared. The women, by the way, who are bringing the suit contradict the typical stereotypes you hear about abortions. All these women are married. Some have children already. The women were hoping to carry these pregnancies to term only to discover that their fetuses had no chance of survival. And that's why they turned to abortion here. Though these women faced the risk of hemorrhage or life-threatening infections from carrying the fetuses, the women were told they could not have abortions, the suit says, and some doctors refused to even suggest the option, others not even forwarding their medical records to another provider. Uh, That is how scared and how badly written these laws are in Texas. So these women found themselves covertly crossing the state border to seek medical treatment outside the state. Uh, Again, they had the means to do this. Uh, Not all women have the means to do this. And as you mentioned, Jill, some of these women became so sick that they had become hospitalized. And meanwhile, in Florida, the Republican legislature on Tuesday filed bills that would ban abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. They'll offer exemptions if the abortion is to save the mother's life and for victims of rape and incest 
only if, though, they can provide official proof of the crime. Most, we know so many of them go unreported. So what this means is that lawmakers are looking to make abortions illegal just two weeks after a pregnant woman's first missed period that is tightening that 15-week ban that they approved last year. The proposed six-week ban already has the support of Governor Ron DeSantis. Republicans do have supermajorities in the House and the Senate. So Democrats have no ability to stop the legislation from going forward. Moshe, I know that you posted this on the Instagram account and a lot of women echoing kind of my first thought, which is, This is basically a total ban of abortion in the state. I don't at six weeks of pregnancy, so many women don't even know that they're pregnant. Right. Because because, again, the clock technically starts at the last period. So it's technically only four weeks after uh, conception. And typically you'd only be checking at that point if you were looking to become pregnant. So that's what a lot of the women uh, were messaging in about. This proposed measure, by the way, would put Florida in the same place as six other states that have already approved six-week bans. That is Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. The new bill in Florida also has exceptions to save the life of the mother before the third trimester, as well as an exception for fetuses with fatal abnormalities. But again, as we just discussed in the Texas law, uh, the question is, is how detailed will this be? Will this be detailed enough for doctors in the state By the way, the fatal abnormalities will have to be written off by two doctors certified in writing with that abnormality, uh, which some women were taking issue with as well. Uh, As you stated, Jill, the current Florida law bans abortion at 15 weeks, uh, and that was just passed last year, and now they're looking to take it up to six weeks. Okay, Jill, we have a lot to get to, including the speed read, but let's thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start with Blinkist. I've been using the Blinkist app for more than a year now as a quick way to get summaries of books I either want to read or a refresher of books I haven't read in a while. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink, Blinkist is essentially audio cliff notes. It summarizes the book for you, audio form, in 15 minutes or less. I like to listen to them while I'm working out or on my commutes. They right now offer more than 5,500 books and podcast summaries. It's a wide range of topics, politics, leadership, investing. They provide curated collections, expert-led guides, really allows you to grow a little bit more every day. Right now, what is so great is Blinkist is offering a special deal to the Mo News audience. Right now, you can go to Blinkist.com slash Mo News, that is Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash Mo News to start a seven-day free trial and get 40% off your Blinkist premium membership. Again, that's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink. Blinkist.com slash Mo News to get 40% off and a seven-day free trial. All right, now to Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews. That's M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. 
Time now for the speed read. Let's start with the economy. From the Financial Times, Fed Chair Jerome Powell warns that the Federal Reserve is prepared to return to bigger interest rate hikes to fight inflation. Powell told the Senate Banking Committee that, quote, the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated, in part because recent economic data was stronger than expected, particularly despite the rate hikes. The job market is still really strong in the United States, and unemployment is at really low levels. The Fed has now raised interest rates eight times in the past year as a way to get inflation under control. And while inflation has gotten a little bit better, it is still really high. If you've gone food shopping recently, you get it. Uh, Mosh, we've talked about this so much on the podcast. The Fed is walking this really fine line. They're trying to get inflation under control by raising interest rates while trying to avoid a recession. And I want to play a clip from Tuesday's hearing. Things got a little testy when Senator Elizabeth Warren questioned Powell. She says that by the Fed's own estimate, about 2 million people will lose their jobs if the Fed keeps raising rates. Take a listen. So Chair Powell, if you could speak directly to the 2 million hardworking people who have decent jobs today, who you're planning to get fired over the next year, What would you say to them? How would you explain your view that they need to lose their jobs? I would explain to people more broadly that that inflation is extremely high and it's hurting the working people of this country badly. All of them, not just two million of them, but all of them are suffering under high inflation. And we are taking the the only measures we have to bring inflation down. And putting two million people out of work is just part of the cost and they just have to bear it? Will, they, will, will working people be better off if, if we just walk away from our jobs and, and inflation remains well, 5 6%? Me- Warren blamed inflation on corporate greed, price gouging, and the war in Ukraine. To be clear, this is one of the only tools in the Fed's arsenal to tamp down on inflation. And a lot of critics have argued that the Fed hasn't gone far enough and, and certainly started this way too late. Yeah, they actually started this just last year at this time, Jill, when the rates were at basically near zero. They have now been raising them over and over and over again. They are now at a target range of about four and a half percent. They were trying to they thought they they were done with this, that they were going to slow this down. But as this economy continues to stay hot here, as prices continue to go up, uh, the Fed feels like they got to keep doing this. Among those who were unhappy about this, the stock market traders, uh, there was a major sell off. On Tuesday, after those Powell comments, investors not a fan of higher interest rates uh, and it continuing further than they thought. But it continues to be the issue here where good economic news is actually bad economic news. There's two critical data releases we'll be getting later this week, the monthly jobs report and the consumer price index, both for February. Again, if job growth is strong here, it'll add more fuel to Powell's argument that interest rates need to go up even more because if companies are hiring, they're offering higher wages. That's more money in the marketplace. That's more money for people to spend. Hence, inflation, if more people are spending money, you raise prices at a store, right? And so ultimately, what the Fed wants to do here is slow things down. So a good number for them is less hiring out there, slightly higher unemployment. Ironically, that's good news for the stock market. The Fed's goal is 2% inflation. Right now, we're still at 5 or 6%, which is lower than last year's 9%, but still, again, way above where they want to be right now. Among those very anxious about this are folks over at the White House. Democrats, including President Biden, are worried that if the Fed goes too far and keeps raising interest rates that could trigger a recession, 
is just in time for next year's election. All right, let's go abroad to Nicaragua. This from the BBC. Mosh, of course, I know this is a story you have really been following on our Instagram account. A UN human rights team announced late last week that Nicaragua's government has committed serious and systemic violations which amount to crimes against humanity, and it's calling for international sanctions against the government. The government in the Latin American country of about 6.5 million people has committed and continues to commit acts of torture, extrajudicial executions, and arbitrary detentions since 2018, and it names President Ortega and the vice president, his wife, as participants in the violations, Ortega first came to power as a leader of a guerrilla movement in the 1970s. He was voted out of office in 1990, but returned to power in 2006, promising to fight corruption. Instead, he tightened his grip on the country. He changed the Constitution so he could serve more terms, made his wife the vice president. Eight of the couple's children were made presidential advisors. They oversee the oil distribution business and most of the country's TV channels. Yeah, it's a complete authoritarian takeover in that country, Jill. And one of the reasons I wanted to discuss this on the podcast is this is a hugely important issue and relevant to the immigration debate we're having right now. And, you know, literally there's a country in our hemisphere not far away from the U.S. that is committing crimes against humanity. And I think it's important for everyone to know about human rights groups and the political opposition in the country have long accused his government of repressing freedoms fixing elections. They've changed the laws in that country that any criticism of Ortega or the government is treason, and it keeps getting worse. Nicaragua, already the second poorest country in this Western Hemisphere, behind Haiti. There's massive gang violence in the country as well, and people are leaving. Nearly 10% of the country's population have left in just the last five years. Jill, just to think about those numbers, that would be the equivalent of 35 million Americans leaving the country in a matter of five years. That is the exodus you're seeing from Nicaragua right now. One place they're going, of course, is here in the U.S. Nearly 200,000 Nicaraguans have crossed into the U.S. in just the last year. Those are the numbers as of November. That is up 60 times as many as the previous year. For generations, Nicaraguans actually uh, stayed put. We didn't see much in the way of migration. That has now changed as we've seen the country collapse effectively. Two-thirds of the nation's population live on about 120 bucks a month. Uh, notably, many of the Nicaraguans who leave the country come here and they then get jobs and then send home money back to Nicaragua. Nicaraguans sent $3 billion back home in 2022. That accounts for nearly a fifth of the country's tax revenue. So ironically, unfortunately, uh, Ortega, the dictator there, doesn't mind it because he's getting a whole bunch of tax revenue based on the Nicaraguans who are leaving the country. So he continues to turn a blind eye to that. You've seen Costa Rica take on a whole bunch of people, other border countries, and then here in the U.S. But I think, again, it's important context to understand why some of these people are coming here to the U.S. and why we're seeing the recent surge. And Moshe, it comes as the Biden administration is looking at further crackdowns on the southern border. According to the New York Times, the White House is considering reviving the practice of detaining migrant families who cross the border illegally. It's the same policy that the president shut down over the past two years because he wanted a more humane immigration system. Although no final decision's been made, the move would be a stark reversal for President Biden, who came into office promising to adopt what he called a more compassionate approach to the border compared to former President Trump. Now, the Biden administration largely ended the practice of family detention, and instead it's been releasing families into the U.S. temporarily and using ankle bracelets, traceable cell phones, or other methods to keep track of them. 
Yeah, this is the latest move by the White House that sort of reinforces some of the Trump immigration strategy, uh, given what has been going on in the border. So the Biden administration has turned to more restrictive measures here as it struggles to handle the rise in migrants fleeing countries like Venezuela, where 7 million people have fleed in the last few years. Uh, we just talked about Nicaragua. They're also fearing a further surge at the border starting on May 11th. That's the day when Title 42, that public health measure we've been discussing on the podcast, actually uh, elapses. That allowed the U.S. for the past couple of years to expel all migrant arrivals uh, who are seeking asylum due to COVID restrictions. Those are gone now. And so they fear a surge starting uh, very soon. So this potential measure could be the latest move by the administration here. Uh, they've made a number of moves in recent months. That includes a crackdown they announced last month that would disqualify a vast majority of migrants from being able to seek asylum at our border unless they actually sought asylum first in Mexico or use an app that we provided. So interestingly here, Jill, after receiving all this criticism from the right, you now have the main criticism for Biden on immigration coming from the left, including immigration advocates, et cetera, who are saying, President Biden, you promised not to be like President Trump here, but you are now uh, go moving forward with some of the policies you previously criticized and said you would never uh, follow through with. Uh, keep in mind, as we talk about family detention policies, by the way, Jill, this is something that was done under President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump. So it wouldn't be uh, that new if we uh, brought that back. And now from The Washington Post, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, last month gave thousands of hours of January 6th footage surveillance video from the Capitol exclusively to Fox News host Tucker Carlson. He has been pushing a narrative for two years that the riot was actually peaceful and that it was coordinated by law enforcement. So Carlson aired several minutes of carefully edited clips on Monday night to reinforce his narrative. And after watching the first installment, the U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger sent out a memo to his department Tuesday morning denouncing the show as, quote, filled with offensive and misleading conclusions. So the Capitol Police Chief wrote that the program conveniently cherry picked from the calmer moments of the 41,000 hours of video. The commentary fails to provide context about the chaos and violence that happened before or during these less tense moments. Carlson says that he did clear the video with police, but the captain of the police said they only got one clip in advance. Meanwhile, former President Trump and some of his supporters believe the video absolves them of responsibility. Trump said Tuesday that the hundreds of January 6th rioters who have been convicted or are facing trial should all now be released. At the same time, a number of senior Republicans called out Tucker Carlson and Fox News Tuesday for what they believe was manipulating the events of that day. Yeah, Joe, we'll keep watching throughout the week to see uh, what else the producers on the uh, show uh, will be releasing. So Monday night was Tucker Carlson's first release of video. As you mentioned, Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, some others saying, you know, this is uh, a these are huge revelations. This changes everything. Carlson claiming that it was peaceful chaos on January 6th. McConnell wasn't alone. There were a number of other Senate Republicans who say they stand with the Capitol Police here. They pushed back on Carlson's claim that January 6th was, quote, peaceful chaos. Uh, and some of them did not mince words, Jill, a warning to the children. Senator Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, called Carlson's remarks, quote, bullshit. A reminder on how we all got started here. Tucker Carlson first acquired the tapes as part of a push by Congressman Kevin McCarthy over on the House side, another Republican. McCarthy was struggling to win the Speaker's gavel. So part of the compromise here when McCarthy was trying to win over votes was 
to a promise that Tucker Carlson, who was a critic of Kevin McCarthy and some members of the uh, House Republican Caucus were listening to, that McCarthy would give Carlson these videotapes exclusively. And that's partially how McCarthy was able to win over far-right Republicans. So he hands over effectively 41,000 hours of videotape to Carlson. Carlson goes through these tapes. Carlson uh, airs this first push on Monday night. So what's interesting here, Jill, as we sit here in March of 2023, is we are again talking about January 6th. Some Republicans, in particular the critics here, are not happy about that. Do you saw some Senate Republicans who are very unhappy with what McCarthy has done here for Tucker Carlson? You have a divided party again on this and some Republicans saying, you know, no matter what you have to say about the events, and yes, there may have been some peaceful people as part of those protests. There was violence that day. You've seen more than a thousand people who are being investigated facing charges right now over this. It was not a peaceful day. And that is what you hear Mitch McConnell and other Republicans saying about this. From the Wall Street Journal, Weight Watchers moves into the Ozempic market with a telehealth deal. Weight Watchers is buying the digital health company Sequence for $100 million, marking the diet company's move into the hot market for diabetes and obesity drugs including Ozempic and Wegovy. Sequence is a subscription service that offers telehealth visits with doctors who can prescribe the drugs. Weight Watchers, which rebranded itself as WW back in 2018, has long promised to help customers lose weight through food tracking and lifestyle changes. And they even scaled back using terms like diet. But now it appears they are looking to also offer customers a medical weight loss approach yeah, they're looking to create more comprehensive programs here, and they're going to use Sequence as part of their company now uh, to you know, service people uh, who are looking at a, a comprehensive approach to weight loss. They're going to be gearing programs to people who are using weight loss drugs. That would also include an emphasis on strength training, consuming high-protein foods, uh, since when people lose weight, they often lose important muscle mass. So that apparently will be part of the Weight Watchers approach here. From entrepreneur, bare minimum Mondays is the latest work-life balance term, courtesy of TikTok. A self-employed TikToker says Mondays are the best days to do the bare minimum. And this advice is going viral. 29-year-old Marissa Joe Mayes calls her work strategy, quote, bare minimum Mondays and says it helps to mitigate burnout and stress. She says instead of creating a massive to-do list every Sunday and burning herself out trying to accomplish it every Monday, she has a new mandate. Do only what needs to be done, no scheduled meetings, and focusing on self-care. Take a listen to one of her TikToks. I started doing this thing last year called Bare Minimum Monday, where I only hold myself accountable to doing the bare minimum work tasks every Monday. And then the rest of the day, I can do whatever I want. But some days, even the bare minimum tasks can be quite a lot. So here's how I still kind of lean into Bare Minimum Monday when I do have kind of a lot to do. The first thing I would recommend is doing as many things as possible from the couch and not your desk or a table. Also recommend just going for the cozier outfit as well. I also ban overhead lighting, lamps only. So now the vibes are right, which does help more than you would think. Next thing you're gonna do is look at your list and remove any and all which thinking tasks. If it is not an absolute must get done, if it doesn't have direct consequences, if it's not done, take it off. Don't even think about it today. And then for the tasks that you do have to do, make sure you are monotasking every single one. You might think multitasking is the way, but it is a one-way ticket to overwhelm and having everything take longer. Jill, you heard it here first. Monotasking <laughs> is the way. <laughs> Got that, Moshe? I love the advice about sweats. 
on it. I, I mean, if, if you work from home, don't you, most people just wear sweats? I was just thinking, I was like, if you're a teacher, if you're a first responder, if you're a doctor, if you have so many different roles in society, the whole like vibes are right. I want to work with a lamp. It's just like not a, a thing. Jill, I have so many thoughts here. First of all, <laughs> I thought bare minimum Fridays were a thing. Like, you know, it, don't you want it to be easy on Friday and like get stuff done earlier in the week? Personally, I do. Um, you know, look, yeah. we are... Mosh, we're in a very unique business, the news business, which it's just kind of 24-7. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would think Friday would be my bare minimum day, my slack day. Well, maybe this is like the beginning of a three-day work week, bare minimum Mondays, like no work afternoon on Fridays. Uh, you know, we have reported on the four-day work week here. And by the way, this whole idea of bare minimum Mondays comes from this TikToker. Some people are like, this is nothing new. Jill, I posted a clip from Office Space on Instagram uh, where they're talking about like, someone's got a case of the Mondays. You know, this ain't anything new. So I gave credit to Gen X for going easy on Mondays there because that's, kind of the, that's kind of the Office Space era there. Though this all comes, this whole bare minimum Mondays idea that has sort of popped up again based on this one TikToker. Unclear how widespread this is or novel this is but this does come as all these new terms for workplace etiquette and effort have emerged like quiet quitting for example you know doing the least possible work at the job on a daily basis there's also quiet firing which is when employers delay employee promotions or implement sky high performance goals to incentivize them to leave jill i'm also reading about quiet hiring which is reallocating somebody to do a new role that isn't quite <laughs> posted. So there's quiet hiring, quiet firing, quiet quitting, bare minimum Mondays. So I just feel like we've entered the era of giving terms to things that have always sort of been there. Moshe, 100%. Um, there is an analysis from LinkedIn, though, that found more people are staying in their jobs for less than a year, and some are calling that. Any guesses? Go for it. Fast quitting. Uh, it's so wait, so hold on, hold on. Let's see, let, just for everyone quitting. listening today. Quiet quitting, fast quitting, quiet firing, quiet hiring, and bare minimum Mondays. Does everyone have that straight? I want loud hiring, right? Like, we, hire me, put out a press release. I, look, when we started working together, we were so excited. We were putting it on Instagram. <laughs> I feel like that's the opposite. That's what it should be. I, I feel like so a whole generational thing here, too. You know, this whole kind of pushback on boomer work culture, American traditional work culture, which has been very different for years than Europe and Asia, where, you know, there's the embrace of the vacation in many places in August in Europe. You know, people take the entire month off. In some cases, it's literally government mandated. So she's gotten pushback, this TikToker, uh, for this bare minimum Mondays idea. She says people are calling her lazy and unmotivated, saying she doesn't care about her job. But for her, it's all about mental health and mental well-being. Mosh, there is a poll, though, from Axios and Generation Lab. They polled people 18 to 29 years old in the U.S. and found that 82% of respondents said doing the least required possible to keep their jobs was pretty or extremely appealing. I mean, it's not saying that that's what they're doing, though. I feel like everybody kind of just <laughs> wants to have an easy gig. I'm curious about the 18% of people in that poll who don't find it appealing to do the least possible work at their job. I guess they must just really love their jobs. Jill, it's interesting here because at 29, that's still sort of younger millennial, even though they're sort of ascribing this trend to Gen Zers, which, of course, are born after 1996. So that puts Gen Z at 27 years old, but they're sort of cuspers, sort of like the fact that you and me are sort of like elder millennial, sort of like exennial, like not quite Gen <laughs> X, uh, but elder millennial and like 
Elder millennials born in the early 80s are very different, you would say, than junior millennials born in the early 90s in terms of, you know, the approach to mental health and the approach to the workforce, etc. Fascinating, though, that this thing has sort of popped. And again, you know, folks, beware when you see these new trend alerts. In some cases, literally what we're talking about here is a TikToker. You heard her there uh, saying something, got picked up by one media outlet, and then everyone else jumped on it because there's something fun and novel to having this conversation as we're having today, Jill. I do think that for most people, if you really like your job, if you feel appreciated, if you're compensated well uh, or fairly compensated, whether you're working for somebody else, whether you're your own boss, I do think most people do want to work hard. I, I think the issue is that so many people don't feel appreciated or compensated at work. All right, now to On This Day in History, on this March 8th. We're going to start 206 years ago today, Jill, a place that you know very well. On this day, the New York Stock Exchange was established, March 8th, 1817. America's investment markets actually started back in the 1790s when the federal government was trying to refinance all the Revolutionary War debt. But with the end of the War of 1812, that ended in 1815, the securities market in New York City began to grow. And so bank and insurance stocks were added to government bonds as part of the trades. And so the New York Stock Exchange was established. Jill, as I mentioned, you know that place. Well, how many years did you spend covering the exchange down there on the floor? Uh, Almost four years, Amosh. It was me and the security guard. We were the first people there at about three in the morning, honestly, even earlier, sometimes about 2, 2.30 in the morning. I did live shots for a ton of the CBS stations across the country. So as much as I did not like getting up early, it was very cool to see the stock exchange come alive. You know, it was like I'd be there when it was, again, just really me the security guard and my producer. And then slowly the the floor would start to fill up. I will say it's a different floor than it was even 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, because so much of the trading happens electronically. Unlike the NASDAQ, you do still have human traders down there. Um, But it is a much smaller uh, footprint than it used to be. All right, we're going to fast forward here to nine years ago. On this day in 2014, Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, you might know as MH370, disappeared on its flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. The disappearance of the plane that had 12 crew members, 227 different passengers, became the biggest mystery in aviation for years. After it disappeared over the South China Sea, it prompted a massive three-year search effort that was finally called off in 2017. You might remember the CNN wall-to-wall coverage of, you know, where did the missing plane go? Well, they never found it, and they called it the search after three years, but the families of those lost on board that flight are now calling this week for the Malaysian government to give the green light to another search for the aircraft six years after it was called off. They want to get closure on what happened. All right, a couple birthdays on this day on March 8th. NBC anchor Lester Holt is 64 years old today, and Dawson himself, James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek, is 46 years old today. I don't want to wait. For my life, for the life to be, <laughs> to be over. over, I want to know. <laughs> I love that song, Jill. We mentioned before that cast of Dawson's Creek. They all went on to be uh, pretty successful in acting, right? Michelle Williams, Joshua Jackson, and of course Katie Holmes. And three other pop culture notes on this day. On this day, twenty-seven years ago, The Birdcage, starring Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, the comedy uh, premiered in theaters March eighth, nineteen ninety-six. A classic. Uh, We will forever miss Robin Williams, who was just so incredible. Though I have to say, I think Nathan Lane really took the cake in that movie, Jill. 
and two items of note 30 years ago on this day. Sorry, millennials and Gen Xers makes you feel a little bit older today. Beavis and Butthead turned 30 years old today, launched March 8th, 1993 on MTV. Also 30 years old today, Loser by Beck. I'm a loser, baby. Also came out March 8th, 1993. Jill, as I record that, I realized it was a mistake for me to literally say I'm a loser, baby, for permanent audio recording purposes. It lives forever, Mosh. Yes, it does. <laughs> Don't run for office. I'm a loser, baby. Yeah, they'll just they'll play it over and over again. Um, okay, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Emo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Appreciate all those great reviews. Of course, beyond the podcast, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H, the Mo News Instagram account for all the latest and greatest and many of your reactions to Bare Minimum Mondays. You guys are certainly letting me hear it. And send us some emails. We'd love to hear anybody's thoughts about what we're talking about on the podcast. Any ideas? Just say hi. Anything. It's a podcast at mo.news. Jill promises to reply to each and every one of you. I do. I, I, I look forward to it. Um, all right. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. You're listening to the Bone News Podcast. <laughs>